Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James. I'm joined today by Matthew Southcombe and Simon Thomas. The new season is upon us. I'm feeling a bit rusty doing the uh, the podcast intro because it's been quite a while since we lasted uh, one of these. Um, for, for listeners of the podcast to wait in for the, for the latest episode, I do apologise. You probably don't know the result of the Lions Tour if you're relying on us. I think it's a while since we did one. Um, spoiler alert, they didn't win. <laughs> I do think the listener should be informed because obviously they, I've got vision as well as sound. And the get-up that Mr. James is in, he, he's got completely gone native after a few weeks in the Boca Boca land because he's got a Springboks kind of jersey on. So, um, cut. Well, <laughs> what can I say? I was treated very well on that uh, that final test week. Um, ended up in a in a vineyard courtesy of the, uh, the Springboks. So, um oh. So uh, I can't I can't complain how I was treated by the hosts. Uh, it's not, of course quite a, quite, quite a pro- <laughs> arguably better than the uh, the visitors. Quite appropriate, quite appropriate, I guess, and brings us all around. Given that we've got four South African sides in this league, and uh, it was a kind of a strange irony that the only one of the one was called the Lions. That's all very confusing, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think they dro- have they dropped the Sigma Lions bit now. Or was that just a mark? Well, they seem to have about three. They seem to have about three different sponsors during the course of one week during the Lions tour. But yeah, we'll stick with the Lions for now. And uh, yeah, they they won out in Italy, but the other three lost. So I guess we'll uh, start to chat about the new look. You Irk. Irk. Is that what we supposed to call it? The Irk United Rugby Championship. Yeah, United Rugby Championship. Um, sponsored by Jay-Z or not sponsored by Jay-Z? Oh, that's one for you young people. Promoted by Jay-Z, I guess. Yeah. Um, Although I didn't see him at the Arms Park on Friday night, it's got to be said. I, I, will, I will say, because I was away the weekend, I didn't see many games live, so I spent February yesterday so going through a lot of highlights, you know, which is quite interesting, just sort of looking at the different styles. And, and you, you're obviously not seeing the full gamut of the games like you do, but I mean, there were some nice tries scored, I thought. I watched just really brilliant try Glasgow scored against Ulster, one of the best tries I've seen for ages, and that seemed a good game and seemed like it was a great atmosphere at the Arms Park, good win there. Um, Osprey's pretty well, so I thought there were lots of, lots of good things to take out of it. And, you know, we've talked about this before, haven't we, you know, in some ways, it's not the ideal competition. You know, it's well documented. People like to see more Anglo-Welsh games and there's a bit of uncertainty about whether it will take off and it's going to take time. But it is what we've got. It's our bread and butter. It's bringing in £10 million. And I thought overall, from what I saw, there was some some decent positives to come out of it. Although the uh, South African size, I think, had a bit of a rude awakening in Ireland, didn't they? Mm, yeah, yeah no, I think you know, the games I covered are, over the weekend at the Arms Park and Rodney Prey, two crackers, like, you know, don't really matter what you call it. As long as it's entertaining, then, you know, it's going to be attractive, isn't it? Um, you know, just to speak to what you said, though, Si, I mean, it was the Cardiff pre-season game against Bath. They weren't specific with the attendances, but what they were talking about was around 6,000. Um, and it was le- it was less than six thousand for the Connacht game, and that's just what that's just what you're saying about the the sort of away support that you get, isn't it? It is. Um, the, the into- I, what, yeah, what interested me was reading your report on it and just um, you know talking about this, the atmosphere there. I think um, people will come back after that, won't they? Yeah, come, after those two games, they'll come back. Oh, the, you know. Uh, Despite what the what the number was, the atmosphere at the Arms Park was fantastic, and same for Rodney Parade, you know. And you know, it, it was a, the arms. The game on Friday night was 
was like a perfect storm, really, because they obviously faced a significant amount of adversity, which will which will surely come on to, but also felt like they weren't getting the rub of the green from the referee, and you know that really got the crowd into the game, and it was it was it was quite loud on on Friday night, and the players responded, and and it turned into a rout in the end. I mean, at the end of the day, if if Welsh teams get on a bit of a run, are in the top six of the league, pushing hard. You know, attendance go up. You know, you, if you see it, you always see it. They, they perhaps might not go up to the levels if we were playing Bath, Bristol, etc., on a regular basis, but they'll go up. And that's mm. all you can do, isn't it? All you can really do as a business and as an operation is, is do your bit to give your customers what they want. And a lot of that is winning, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Good start for the Blues. Good start for the Ospreys. Ooh. Good start for the who? Oh, throw one in for Stafford. <laughs> it's an interesting one because I was like one of the main advocates of getting rid of the name blues because I never thought it added anything whatsoever as a suffix. And I find myself finding it very yeah. difficult to stop saying it, you know. It well, is going to take a little while. the exact same story on Scrum 5. On, it's very uh, difficult. I think, it is. I, think, I think fresher students were doing drinking games every time uh, blues was mentioned on Scrum 5 on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, Nicky, this Nicky is. Robinson was a, I mean, it's a pertinent yeah, point. It's a pertinent point, isn't it? Because one of the main reasons why I guess they got rid of it is they want to emphasise what they think is their biggest brand, and that's Cardiff. It's not Blues, and it's going to take time for people, to, you know, to slip out of their old habits. But you know, now from now on, week by week, week by week, you will hear the name Cardiff, and that's what they wanted, and that's what their supporters wanted. And I think they were chanting it quite loud at, you know, at Cardiff at the, at the Owens Park on Friday. So, yeah, you can see why they're doing it. Stop stupid people like me saying that word again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Jim Botham called them the Blues at halftime as well. So you, you're forgiven. It, it can happen to anyone. but well, It's going to keep happening, isn't it? <laughs> you know, speaking about the Owens Park, um, we, we've seen some good matches between Cardiff and Connacht over the years. I remember... Um, Jared kicking a touchline conversion in goal. I remember, was it Reese Patchell scoring in like the 88th minute when Pat Lamb went a bit mad with a laptop mm-hmm. post match? A few I years was back. there, yeah. I was also there. The worst ever game of rugby I've ever seen 6 3 at the Arms Park in 2003 or something like that it was an absolute shocker. But they do, both sides like look to play, don't they? Yeah. You know, um, I thought it was interesting watching the tries. I mean, Great to see Owen Lane fit again. I mean, you, you don't want to sort of tempt fate, but if that boy can just get a run of games together because, you know, the pace and the power he's got, and he's intelligent. He's an intelligent rugby player, picks good lines. And I think as we sit now, and we're all doing this, we're doing after week one, and we're talking about the potential Wales team against the All Blacks. But if you're picking it right now, you'd, there'd be a good chance the back three would be Liam Williams, Adams, and Owen Lane, I think. I think he's... Is he, would you say Matt's slightly ahead of Jonah Holmes? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've, it's always been the case with Owen Lane, probably for the best part of three years, is you know whether or not he gets a run of games. But whenever he gets his hand on the ball and he's fit, he's a very difficult man to stop. I mean, the first the first try, he took some real finishing, you know, and I think you got to credit Alex Jenkins for giving him the early pass and just letting him do his business. But you know, that that was no easy finish. Um, and I think the, the the sort of arcing run that he made in the second half, which which led to the yellow card for the Connaught winger, 
which ultimately led to his second try a few moments later, um, was kind of like trademark Owen Lane. You know, it, when they're at their best, Cardiff, is when they get someone like Lane running on that sort of outside arcing run uh, from the backfield. Um, and he can cause real problems. He's quick. I saw somebody suggested that they're that there had been a few comments made about whether or not he was quick enough to play at international level. And I don't really know that there's even a debate to be had there, to be honest with you. I mean, whenever I've seen him play, he's looked as sharp as anyone. And at the end of the day, if you score tries, then it doesn't really matter. So, yeah, I would probably, I would have him definitely as part of the conversation and, and probably in a starting spot at the yeah, moment. Think, but, you know, I like you said, let's, tempt, let's not tempt fate too much. No, I think I think with anybody who's that kind of size and build, there's always maybe that thing, the first 10 yards of getting off the speed. But once he gets into stride, he's mm-hmm. he's quick. He is quick, you know. And, yeah, I saw the same references that. I've never really sort of recognised it. I think, you know, he's got pretty much all the raw materials. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, Alamemos in the other wing is, a you know, is someone I think a pivot admires for his footballing ability he's another option we talked about Jonah Holmes um, it's, just, it's just great really to sort of see players who've had these injury issues back I mean you've talked about Anscombe that, that's the best story of the season so far for me just wonderful to see him back and the other one for me is Scott Williams you know he's had a wretched time over the last three years hasn't he you know sort of various issues kind of become a bit forgotten but I mean I the clips I saw from Scarlet's game you know, there's still not many centres out there who've got his kind of range of ability in terms of the passing game, in terms of his ability to make an outside break. He's got pace as well. Just does the basics very well with ball in hand. And uh, yeah, it was, it was nice seeing him and John Fox together again. So yeah, if Scott can build on that, he, he comes back to England. He's only 30, isn't he? When you think about it. You know, 58 caps, loads of experience. Gives a different kind of option in the centre. So yeah, I think that's... It's always... A great thing when you see people who've been through struggles come back and, you know, fingers crossed, we'll see Reese Patchell come back now as well. George North seems to be making good progress after a serious injury. So, yeah, it's nice to talk about people coming back from injury rather than picking up injury. Of course, it's hard not to talk about the game on Friday night without that, though. Have you ever seen a situation where teams lost both fly after within 20 minutes? Uh, I don't think so. It was... Um, I was speaking to Cardiff yesterday and I, you know, just checking on the prognosis, we'll find out more today. There's going to be a Cardiff um, press conference. Di Young's going to be talking and um, Jared Evans. I mean, it sounds a horrible sounding injury, doesn't it? I, mean, I think, was it a fractured sternum? We were told in the end, what was the, what was the latest well, on that? Matter? We obviously waiting on, obviously after the game, they were waiting for scans, but if he, but the, he looked in an unbelievable amount of pain. I mean, he was doubled over when he was, trying to make his way down the tunnel. You know, if he has, I mean, all signs at the moment point to him having cracked his sternum. Um, and if he has done that, then it's, you know, if you like any broken bone, it's not something that you can expedite. It just heals when it heals. So, you know, I think we can assume that he's not going to be available for the All Blacks game and probably not available for Cardiff for a couple of months. Um, so that that's a difficult one to take. Obviously, came on the back of Reese Priestland suffering a concussion two minutes into his competitive debut for the region. And like you said, Ben, 20 minutes into the new season and Cardiff were, were right up against it. And, you know, Cardiff teams that you've seen in the past will, you know, I've, you'd expect them to crumble in that situation. Um, you know, they've had a bit of a soft underbelly down the years. Uh, perhaps what we saw was a bit of the Die Young effect. You know, they, 
Lloyd Williams deserves a huge amount of credit for stepping in for an hour at fly half. And, you know, I think, I think Willis Halaholo and Ray Lilo really um, took over a little bit as well um, and took control of the game. Anything good that was going to happen was going to come through those two. Uh, and Thomas Williams, you know, he came off the bench and um, was was basically, you know, irresistible. You know, as Da Young said after the match, everything, you know, pretty much had a hand in all the tries. Um, just a constant threat and a live wire and everything that we we would expect from him. He was really at his best. So, you know, they deserve a huge amount of credit for coming through that. And like I touched on um, before the podcast, Ben, it was kind of the perfect storm in terms of the atmosphere because they they lost their fly halves. The, I think there was a sense that they weren't getting the rub of the green off the referee. Um you know, the yellow card started flying, although, you know, Seb Davis probably deserved his um, for after a number of sort of team offences. Um, but it just got the crowd going um, and they really got into the game then, sort of, uh, certainly after they lost the fly halves and, you know, towards the end of the first half when the whistle was really against them. So, no, it was a, a really creditable performance from Cardiff and, um, you know, hopefully it's a sign that this is not going to be a <coughs> Know, the same old season from them. You have to ask, is there any position that Lloyd can't play, really? Don't you? In a sort of um, <laughs> wing World Cup hero in 2015. You better be careful in case there's a propping crisis. You might be asked to slip in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's up, for, he's up for the media today. So it'll be interesting to hear his take on um, how he dealt with it. It just shows he's a good footballer, doesn't he? You know, he's got that kind of, sort of rugby brain on him. It just um, makes intelligent choices. And yeah, you're right, coming through that adversity was great. And again, with Thomas Williams, we talked about it in the summer. And we, there's, I still have an abiding sense of frustration that he had those injuries last season. Because I think on form, to me, he's still, he's the best fly-off in, in the UK, in Britain, you know, scrum half rather. He's um, just in terms of natural ability and creativity, and he's quite a similar type of player to Ali Price in some ways, isn't he? In terms of the, yeah. the spark and the catalyst, but I think he's just a, he's a better player than Ali Price, you know. And yeah, it is for, it is a shame that he had those injuries and then time, you know, bad timing. But great to see him back now, and um, yeah, he just makes things happen. You know, he's just one of those players, isn't he? There's so many tricks in his box and quick, quick of deed, quick of mind, quick of action. A catalytic converter, really like him, and um, three conversions as well. He's going to have a big, big season, I think. Big, big season. I think the only one he missed was when the pressure was off, wasn't it? Yeah. So, which also sort of speaks to him as a player that he kicked those, those first few when, when the scoreboard was a bit tight. I think the other thing was, I mean, yeah, we've known we've known it for a while. You know, there's a lot of talent in that Cardiff backline. You've got the likes yeah. of Josh, God, Josh Adams to come back as well, of new, and obviously the the flyouts when they're fit. But I mean, the question mark has always been about you know the, the the pack, the soft underbelly, if you if you like the suggestion. But but what I saw a bit, um, they they look now as though they they've got a pack who can provide Die Young with what he wants, which is you know high tempo ball. I think Matthew Screech looks like a good signing. He seemed to run the line out there at one steal, I think, in the line out as well. And that partnership with Seb Davis looks good because I mean, Seb, I think, he's, has developed and come on as a player in the last eighteen months. He's more offering more as a ball carrier now, physicality. You know, never been any doubt over his athletic ability. Where he gallops around the field, and uh, you know, they, both of those might because it's the competition might miss out on Wales this this year. You can see them forging. In the, you know, now that Corey Hill has gone, 
that's very much the partnership. If they can keep them fit, keep them firing, that's going to be a big, big factor for them this season. Um, and it was obviously just great to see Alice Jenkins there as well. You know, he came back well last season, then a little bit of a blip setback, but he's back firing again now. And they've got lots of options in that back. We're obviously Navidi to come in as well. Yeah, I mean, they probably haven't got the, the depth, the real quality and depth of like a Leinster or a Munster. But given that fewer matches this season are impacted by the international call-ups, if they can stay injury-free and find a fly half who can avoid injury, um, then I think they'll be strong and they'll be competitive. Interesting, I'm, I'm guessing maybe Jason Tavi might come out of the box this weekend. But you wondered only whether um, maybe the extra day they had, wasn't it, Friday? But I mean... Preston might be struggling with, with the HIA situation. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's immediately you get a bit of a test of the depth, don't you? Yeah, Di, Di was quite positive about Preston after the game, but he's still got to go through the protocols, haven't you? So, yeah, I think one way or another, we're probably going to see Jason Tubby this weekend. I think there, there, are, there are worse backlines out there to, to, to lose a fly-off than, than Cardiff, the way they play. I think the setup, their their attacking structure, I think you, you can not get away with it, but such as their all court game, the other the other members of the backline are probably quite used to handling that responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I touched on Willis Halaholo there as well. You know, he he kind of almost took control a little bit. And you know, the beauty of someone like Halaholo is that he he'll get you at least a couple of yards every time he carries. You know, he's whether he's stepping around somebody or he, he stays alive for a lot longer than most other centres so you're always going to get some form of momentum with him but also you get that sort of play out the back as well and that sort of nice intricate um, sort of handling and that unlocks defences quite quickly as we you know that's how Cardiff do get in behind teams is by sort of shortening them up and, and finding space in you know outside the 13 channel because of the sort of stuff that Halaholo and Lilo can do together so yeah, I think, like you said, because because of um, his presence, I don't think they they felt the loss of the fly halves as much as they as much as you know other teams with perhaps more direct centres um, would have done. But you know those pairs are so creative that you just give them the ball sometimes and just let them let them crack on. But just to finally touch on Simon's point, without getting too carried away with Cardiff, it will hinge on their front five. You know. The back line, I think we can all agree, is probably good enough to challenge most in the league. But you know, are they going to consistently get a platform and get the ball throughout the season? And, you know, the scrum, Dai Young wasn't particularly thrilled with the scrum on Friday night, and you know, it's not the best pack that Cardiff are going to face this year. So, you know, they're going to have to make sure that they're good in that area, and you know. Seb Davis and, and Matthew Screech are going to have to form a good partnership because from the back row backwards, they're as good as anyone you know around really. So well, this is why on their front this, five. This is why Dai has got them playing. You know, has put such an emphasis on fitness over the summer. He knows they're not going to smash through teams physically at the set piece or with the ball in hand. They don't have the you know the Nick Williams, Xavier Rush monsters to do that. Um, so if you don't have that, you have to play to your strengths. And what their strength, their, their strength through athleticism, speed and ability out wide. So what he's done is, along with Tristan Bevan, who's come in, must put a massive emphasis on fitness, getting fit enough to play the high-tempo game he wants. 
there are going to be the occasions you're going to be at Common Park against Munster and they're going to stick it up their jumper. And then you're going to face occasions like that. But he has now got a team with the attributes fitness-wise to play to, the, play to their strengths. And I think they'll be fun to watch this season. I certainly say that. Yeah. Yeah. The the sort of the, the the game that always stands out from last year for Cardiff, just quickly, is is the Munster one away in May when they ran them off the pitch for about three three quarters of the game, just cut in Munster to shreds. But as soon as Munster just tightened up and played pragmatic. And just, just gave the ball to Gavin Coombs, didn't they, for yeah. about 20 minutes? <laughs> kicked it to the corners. He's yeah. he's good looked yeah, looked for territory, looked for lineouts, and, and they just sort of just went over the top of Cardiff. And that's that's going to be the test, isn't it? Is, is even well, I think, well, I think that's what I would say, you see. Yeah. I think that's a very good point you make, because like you say, they did it for 55, 60 minutes. Yeah. Dai's attitude is, right, if we can do that for 15 minutes, if you showed last season, if we have the fitness levels I want, then there's no reason why you can't at least look to play that way for 80 minutes. You might come up against a big monstrous obstacle, but at least you've got the fitness that if you've got the ball, you can keep on doing that. And they have tries in their locker. You know, they do. And um, yeah, fitness, keeping people fit is going to be key because in certain positions, they perhaps don't have that depth. But yeah, encouraging start. And uh, yeah, Good to see people enjoying rugby at the Anse Park again. That was the biggest thing, wasn't it? And at other grounds, just to see fans there and having a good night out. Yeah, one one quick final word on Cardiff before we move on. They they missed almost 25% of their tackles on, on Friday night. That That's not going to be good enough against the better team. So Richard Hodges is going to have a few, uh, few words to say about that this week, I'd imagine. Was that um, individual or structural from what you could see? Um... Both, uh, not always. It, it, I think it's just probably to do with how chaotic the game was in general. Like you said, yeah. you know, Con- Connaught uh, are always going to throw it around. Cardiff are always going to throw it around, and you know, gaps appear. But you know, irrespective of that, seventy-eight percent tackle success rate is not going to win. It's not going to get you into the playoffs, is it? So that needs to needs to get better. They only had to make seventy tackles, so to miss twenty is disappointing. Yeah, well, they'll have to make them this week against the Ospreys, then, won't they? That's, that's, uh, that's a good test for them now coming up. Good test for the Ospreys, too. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get on to the Ospreys in a little bit, but speaking of defences, if Richard Hodges has got his work out, so is Hugh, Hog- uh, Hugh Hogan down at the Scarlets. Um, Dwayne Peel era didn't exactly kick off in the way they'd have liked. Uh, they lost 26-22, I think that was the final score. Yeah. In Edinburgh. Um I, I had a, a, a journalist text me after 20 minutes saying, there's no way the Scarlets lose this. Such was the way they started the game and how, how sort of timid Edinburgh looked. You know, I think the Scarlets had a couple of tries chalked off. Steph Evans eventually crossed. And then they were basically the architects of their own downfall. No, the uh, two central floors from what I could see the highlights, they got the headliner issues. Yeah. And they just, made, they just made mistakes. Just made mistakes. But, you know, it, as much as the Cardiff line-out started to click, the Scarlet's line went in the opposite direction. And it's always a problem, isn't it, if you haven't got that first-phase possession. And But I, I think that's something you can work on, isn't it? You can you know, you know, sort those issues out and um, individual errors happen. With the ball in hand, when it clicked, it looked good, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I did love to see the John Fox <laughs> handoff back in work in motion again. That was a, a joy to behold. And... Uh, 
yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of talent on that side, but yeah, Dwayne will want to sharpen up in a couple of those key areas, line up and defence. I think I think the attack was a positive because I think that's something that's dissipated over the last couple of years is how the Scarlets attack. I think Brad Moore, there were, there were there were elements of the attack working, but I don't think it was ever it was never that fluid. Obviously, you know, Pivac had it working to great effect 2017, 2018, had a rough sort of 2019 as he as he tried to get over the loss of key players like Tygburn, sort of knowing that the, the project was pretty much up for him. But the, the, the Scarlet attack has become pretty easy to read. You know, I think under Glenn Delaney last year, you know, they, they struggle to break teams down a lot. You know, if they're not scoring off first phase or if they're not scoring from long distance, they're pretty predictable. But at least we saw some sort of semblance of nice phase play and, and, and good structures. And, and how, yeah, as, as we mentioned before earlier in the podcast, having Scott Williams fully fit and, and a firing is, is massive because his his range of passing and his timing of passing is just outstanding. I think there was a, um, a nice little sort of delayed pass, pullback pass um, to Dan Jones for Steph Evans try. There was a double pump in the build-up to putting Foxy through a gap to set up McNichol. Just a lot of what the Scarlets did well in the attack came through through Scott. And, you know, you think he's pretty much lost two years of his career, hasn't he, Matt? It's, was it, you know, 2019 World Cup? He, he almost, well, he, he effectively ran himself into the ground to get back to, to, to give himself a chance to play in Japan. And he's, he's probably paid the price a little bit in the two years that have followed. Yeah, it kind of goes back further than that as well, because earlier in that season, he, he pulled his hamstring. Um, after a few games uh, after looking really good as well um, you know he looked like he started well at the Ospreys his hamstring went then his back flared up and you know that's well documented that what you know what happened from there and then obviously he had to fight his way back from that and then you know last year he did his shoulder um, you know the guy just hasn't had a break and uh, you know he's just a classy operator you know we've We've just we've discussed it, but it's just all it's just a complete package. You know, it just needs to stay fit. We haven't what what we one thing we didn't touch on as well. I think he's got a really clever kicking game. You know, really adept at dribbling those little grubbers in behind if it if it's not on. Um, tends to make the right decisions all the time. When he's a he's a big old unit as well. Um, so, you know, you, you hope he has a bit of luck. But you know, looking at the scarlets from a wider perspective. If you're Edinburgh, you sort of look at that game. They Edinburgh conceded 16 penalties. You know, you generally think if if you're a team giving away as many as 16 penalties, you're going to be surrendering the ascendancy to your opponent. Scotland's only gave away seven penalties, so they should have been dominating in terms of territory and possession, but it just didn't transpire that way, as we touched on, because of the errors that were made. They missed 25 tackles to Scarlets. I just think that. You know, if you're a team with a greatness of respect to Edinburgh, if you're a team that has ambitions of being there when they're handing out the trophies at the end of the season, that is a game that you need to win. Um, mm. You know, I think we can give Dwayne Peel a, a bit of a bit of rope here because um, obviously hasn't been in situ for very long, and and perhaps it's going to take a little while for things to to bed in, um, but certainly not the start to the 
to the sort of campaign that, that they would have been hoping for down west. And you kind of hope that, that that does improve quite quickly because they've got so many weapons down there that they should be, you know, although me and you, Ben, have, have tipped the Ospreys to fly the flag for Wales this year, the Scarlet should be there or thereabouts as well. Yeah, I think I think this I think a lot of people have sort of underestimated how bad things were at the Scarlets in the last two years. Mm. With, with you know, you, you know, I like Glenn Delaney as a coach um, and, and as, as director of rugby, and he's, he's a good bloke. But defensively, they were all at sea a lot last year. You know, I think they shipped fifty points, maybe three times in the season. I think they shipped fifty against Leinster, Sale, and the Dragons potentially. You know, they didn't have a. Uh, a definitive defensive coach because Delaney stepped up from that to replace Brad Moore. So defensively, they're all at sea. Attack, they just look blunt. You know, they've become the sort of the barometer of success in Wales for what you can do and, and the amount of Welsh call-ups they had, but the, the way that the system set up, the compensation you get probably doesn't amount to much when you, you're basically not able to put out a consistent team across the season, you know, how often do we talk about the, the, the great players, the Scarlet's have in terms of internationals and then contrast that to how often do you actually see them get in a run of games in the jersey? So often you're just seeing, you're seeing kids and, and sort of reserve players making up that back line. That, that's the, the job that Peel's got on his hands is that the Scarlets were have been a victim of their own success from 2017, 2018, and then they've not really been able to kick on from that. To me, they look um, they look a bit light in the boiler house. And you know, Jake Ball's oh, yeah. gone, Savita Ratuva has gone. Those are yeah. two big lumps to lose at your second row. I mean, Aaron Shingler's a very fine yeah. player. Sam um, Lousy's injured as well at the minute. I mean, I think they really need to get Lousy back fit. I mean, I know he has had these disciplinary issues, but when he's firing, he's a good player. And they've got Jack Price, who went away at Exeter, didn't play a huge amount there. He's come back. So he was with Shingler. They look a little bit like them. I think on the bench was Tom Phillips covering that area. Um, You know, so, yeah, they've obviously got um, Zana coming from the Argentinian setter, but I think he's more of a back row forward, Matt, isn't he, Lozano? He's coming in, so... Yeah, I, 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 if you look at it, they should be the, the the Welsh region that is challenging foremost because they've got by some significant distance the largest budget there. You know, they've got quality there, but it, they do look a little bit light in a couple of key positions. They've got, you know, in the back row, you hope that Josh McLeod can come back. I mean, I don't know exactly what the prognosis on him because I think he was very important to them when he was fit and playing well. Um, but yeah, it's not a great start, and they've they've obviously it'd be interesting now to see because they're the first Welsh team to play a South African side against the triumphant Lions this weekend. So I think they need a, a result and a performance there, really, just to sort of get things moving. Because I mean, I, I think spoken to Dwayne a couple of times, he says all the right things. He got Ulster playing a nice brand of rugby when he was backs coach there. He's someone who understands the region, understands the setup there. Um, you really hope for him that he does work out and that he can get on a bit of roll, but he does need a win this weekend just to steady the ship and you know, answer those who are questioning how things are going along and just to show the direction. Because I mean, I watched them play up in Leicester, first half really indifferent, second half you saw the style coming out, the way he wants them to play, you know, the speed of hand 
ball through the hand. It was good to watch. So he kind of needs to. We need to see that second up at Welford Road replicated more. But he really does need with his coaches to resolve the uh, the lineout issues. Yeah, it's, it's important to remember it took Wayne Pivak a couple of seasons to sort of bed in the way he wanted to set things up at the Scars. You know, you think back to Pivak's first two years in charge and, and the Scarlets were horrendously inconsistent in the league. They could they could score tries for fun and they could they go and lose games. And I just think there's it's a massive job on Dwayne Peel's hands. Yeah. I mean what was interesting though was that of course Edinburgh were in exactly the same situation yeah. in many ways with Mike Blair coming in for Cockrell. You know, you could say the same thing applying to them that or you know transitional period. Um yeah. Just they edged it. They edged it, didn't they? But yeah, listen, you're right. You're not going to judge Dwayne Peel on one league match, are you? Mm. I think if you read, if you believe what you read, and sort of from some ex Edinburgh players, I think, I think they just sound happy to be uh, away from Cockrell's sort of uh, dictatorship. Well, yeah, he, he probably <laughs> and he's quite a strong Will Will's character. I always get the impression. I look, I look forward to seeing him and Eddie Jones bend to each other's will in the next couple of seasons I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast so yeah I don't, I don't think there's too much more to say on the Scarlets I think Hugh Hogan's got a big job in his hands just sorting out the defence um, they may they may. I, I Ben Velikot's a good scrum half Blair Kinghorn's a decent uh, fly half um, they made him look like will beaters at times just with some of the errors yeah I mean, um, I mean I think you're covering the Scarlet's press conference this week Ben it'd be interesting to know wouldn't it? there are two or three people like we mentioned Sam Lucy there need to get him back we need to see how close he is also uh, how soon are we going to see someone like Gareth Davis for example because he had so little rugby on the Lions trip Adam Beard played for the Ospreys last week so you've got, I mean, we've got Gareth Davis, we've got Ken Owens there, we've got Liam Williams, Sanjay. You know, when are we going to see these Lions boys back? Um, what's the situation with Patchell? So there is quality to come in. And it'd, be inter- it'd be interesting today to hear what the timescale, and McLeod as well, who I mentioned, um, Zana from Argentina, when are we going to start to see these guys filtered in? Because they need a little bit of stardust quality added, don't they? Absolutely. Um on to the final game then of the opening weekend of the URC. Uh, it was a Welsh uh, derby, a Ronnie parade. Matt, you were, you were there. Mm. Um, I mean, a, t- a tale as old as time. Um, yeah, a little for bit. Dra- for, dra- for Dragons fans, it is, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit of a concern for, not a concern because we're one game in, but, you know, <laughs> it's kind of the same old story, isn't it? You know, they, they look really... They, you know, they deserved their lead at halftime, uh, leading by six points. Uh, the Ospreys' discipline was a huge issue. They think they were losing the penalty count 9-4 at halftime. They were bang on the wrong side of um, uh, the referee. Uh, but but the, the Dragons, you know, controlled things pretty well, by and large. But there's just nothing coming off the bench, really. I mean, you know, Rodri Williams aside, I think... I think he had a bit of an impact, looked lively when he came on, took his try really well. Um, and, you know, it will probably start as he as he sort of continues his comeback from injury uh, pretty swiftly. But, you know, there's, there's just very little to get excited about. You know, Tame Basham c- coming on, obviously a good player, but, you know, his impact was limited. Uh, but then when you're looking at the front five replacements, it's a bit... 
<laughs> questionable. Uh, and, and really, the second half is where the Ospreys just grabbed control of the game and never gave it back. Um, you look at the statistics, they're pretty even uh, throughout. Not a lot in it at all, really, uh, one way or the other. Um, but I think just the Ospreys sort of managed the game a lot better in the second half. They turned the screw a bit. Jack Dixon's yellow card was pretty important. Um uh, and they just said the Ospreys killed the game off quite well with some nice tries. Um, yeah. yeah. You're right. You make a good point, Matt, about the Dragons bench. I mean, they are what they are, aren't they? The best, if the Scarlets are by a little way the, 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 the team with the highest budget in Wales, then the Dragons are the one of the least. So it, it almost inevitably that's going to mean perhaps your quality and depth is not going to be there. I think they, more than any other region, need to keep their kind of first team or the first kind of 20, 22 players fit and out there playing. Because in that first half, they looked okay. They mm-hmm. looked they looked tidy, you know. I, I thought that um, Rollins looks a really good signing. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, he's he's he just looks like someone who's, you know, come from a, a good level of rugby and just carries strongly and good line of forward. I think him and Carter, you can see developing a nice second row partnership there. They're, they're fine in the back row, aren't they? And the fact that Basham's on the bench, you know, he's played for yeah. us. Uh, they're, they're fine in the back row. Um, front row, I mean, the two overseas signings, which Dean Ryan has obviously talked about having a few obstacles to, to recruit. Yeah. You, was it interesting point you make there? When, person. <laughs> when you talk about the challenges they've got in terms of resources, the... Um... One of the journalists asked after the game, asked Dean, said to Dean Ryan, "Hi, you know your your new signings did pretty well." <laughs> Dean Ryan's response was something along the lines of, "Don't get it twisted. We've got massive issues in terms of resources and trying to acquire players." And and I, you know the follow up came out. You know the props did pretty well. <laughs> And that's when he gave us the quotes he did about, you know, the difficulties that they had in recruiting those props, Um, which really is is pretty surprising when, you know, I suppose you shouldn't be surprised by anything these days, but, um, you know, the stuff that he was saying that they had to get clearance from a mystery person at the WRU, as he described it, um, which basically never came. Um, He said they, they were in May trying to get clearance which is clearly very 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 late in the year to be trying to sign players um, and they couldn't get it uh, you know the, they couldn't get that clearance from the WIU to sign non-Welsh players which you know I said to him is that frustrating as the head coach given that you know if they're good enough for you that should be good enough for anyone and and he said if <laughs> I'll be here for a long time if I give you the full list of things that frustrate me so you know, clearly the Dragons are facing a lot of challenges off the field. But, you know, if, if you look at the squad that they've got, I think the way to sum them up is they will compete with teams for the first 50-odd minutes. But ultimately, they will struggle in that last quarter. Yeah, I mean, that thing with the um, the, the two props have come in, that's nothing new. I remember the, the hoops and the hurdles that Cardiff had to go through to keep Nick Williams on board. And he was someone who was fairly well established and a quality man. You know, it's slightly different with the Dragons because they're owned by the WRU, technically. You know, and so I guess perhaps the WRU have more of a say, but it, it is always very difficult because at the end of the day, coaches know the kind of players they need to bring in. I think if you're given 
a budget, you should be allowed to spend it as you see fit. Yeah. You know, or fine, the union can say, right, we'll have a maximum of, I don't know, six non-Welsh qualified, something like that, which used to be very much the case. You should be given the leeway and say, right, we really believe that this player will improve our team, give us greater strength, but this that's the money, our income, we're going to spend it. I think it's, it's totally wrong that they have to go through these hoops. Especially when, at the minute, it feels like what you get back for having Welsh qualified players playing for Wales isn't necessarily worth what you're giving. I mean, it's different this season. You get yeah. is not really worth it for you know basically having your squad stripped for the best. It's it's, it's it's a really difficult balancing act, Ben, because you talk to you know the administrators of the regions, and they are fully aware that the financing, funding, payments, whatever you want to call it, are heavily hinged upon the makeup of the Elite 38 squad. Just to explain to people, if you have a player who's in Wayne Pivak's 38, then 80% of his wages come out of the first kind of tranche, the first tier of the PRB money. So it essentially means that you've, out of your own separate income, you only have to find 20% of the wages. So it does make a big influence, does make a big impact. It frees up more money in your budget for other people. So there's a clear financial benefit on employing these people. But do you? how often do you see them? This is the, this is the, the other bit. Now, as we said earlier, hopefully this season, because of the new structure with a reduction in the number of league fixtures, there will be fewer games where you'll be without them. You won't see them play anymore. It's just there's fewer matches. But the important is that it'll impact negatively on you less, won't it? So in a way, this season, the Elite 38 might work quite well. Last season, it didn't work at all because the, the, the payments were slashed to three million up to five in the end. So it didn't really apply. This, this time, at the moment, it does still benefit you to have players in the Elite 38. And it does influence your signings. If you're looking at a player, say, in England, I would guess what the process goes, you would probably check with the union, WRU, if we sign this player, is he going to be in Wayne Pivak's Elite 38? It's, it has a major bearing on your decision, doesn't it? So there's that. But you do still lose them for a chunk of the season, probably four or five league games this season where squad players would be missing, maybe more if they pick up injuries. So to compensate for that, what do you need? You need quality season-long players. The bottom line is a lot of the time that means your Ray Lilos, these kind of players, your quality overseas imports, Nick Williams before. You look around the regions, they're a key, key men. You know, Blade Thompson, obviously, slightly different because he goes away to Scotland. But having players, I mean, not as much because he comes back in the fallow weeks. You need those kind of players. And I think the union has to acknowledge this. If they want the players as much as they have them, then they have to give you the means to c- compete during those periods, and that means enabling and allowing you to recruit quality overseas players without putting obstacles in your way. Yeah, I think um, Rob Davis down at the Ospreys summed it up the best back when they were in turmoil back in 2019 and they had that very uh, interesting press conference at uh, the Swansea, Swansea.com stadium, is it, these days? Mm. Um, you know, it, it was basically put to him you know, about this extra international where they're obviously going to be without players for certain matches during the league campaign. And he just basically said, you know, am I annoyed that we're not going to have our players for the league game? Yes. Um, but I also like having all the money that it brings in uh, from the Welsh international matches. So where does that leave me? Was basically his answer. 
um, and that's a conundrum that that the regions face. You know, it, of course, it's going to frustrate them that they're going to be without players for matches in the league campaigns. And but ultimately, if you spoke to you know, as as Rob Davis said, you know, the money that it brings in is important um, to them. And I know it frustrates fans. It frustrates all of us that. You know the the teams. The, what are they? You know, regions, professional teams, or you know, whatever you want to call them, are going into league matches under strength because it's not a it's not a level playing field, then, is it? But you know, this is this. These are the cards that we've been dealt, and the, the financial situation in Wales at the moment, particularly after COVID, is what it is. The, the other thing, Matt, is like history will tell you that if you bring in quality overseas players like your Rush, like Montgomery, like Teichman like Regan King, like Holler, like Thea Tiltia. The Welsh boys who play with them gain so much. Mm. The number of centres that came on, you know, through playing with Regan King, the number of, you know, forwards of the Ospreys who came on with playing, who benefited. You talk to Alan Jones and people like this about what those players did, Tia Tia, you know, and Holler, fantastic players. Jerry Collins as well, you know, set standards on and off the field. They benefit Welsh rugby. And it's no coincidence that the periods where our pro teams have done best have been the periods where they've had real quality overseas players. You look at when Cardiff you know, won the Amlin, got to the semi-final of the Heineken Cup, they had the likes of Rush, Ben Blair, you know, Felice, you know, Paul Tito. Quality, quality overseas players. They make a big difference. The Ospreys, we talked about the Galacticos, you know, they didn't win Europe, but they were, they were really competitive, you know. You need quality overseas players, but of course, quality costs money, which brings us full circle back to the situation, so we are where we are. But what you don't need is if you are able to sign a decent overseas player, you don't need them to be having to go through all these hoops to do it. Yeah. It's patently obvious that our, our squads need strengthening season-wise, and that means bringing in decent, decent overseas players. Along with bringing back quality Wales players from England. I mean, they, they, you know, you know what the Welsh pro teams need. You know what they need. They need stronger squads. Where can you get better players from? Well, there's quite a few of Welshmen in England. It'd be great to have them. And there's obviously a cachet, a pool of overseas players. You know what quality is. It just costs money. Absolutely. Um, let's touch on the Ospreys then. Obviously, they were the other team involved in that Welsh derby. They came out on top eventually. Um, I guess the best place to start is how great it was to see Gareth Anscombe back. Yeah. Competitive rugby. And then showing some nice touches. Yeah, it was good. Um you know, obviously, as we all know about the injury and, and, and that story. Um but, you know, I think for a while there's been a psychological barrier to overcome, uh, if I sort of read between the lines of what Toby Booth has said in recent weeks. Um, and ultimately there comes a point where you have to get back on the horse. And, you know, he obviously did that against Northampton and uh, and again at the at Ronnie Parade. It was a <laughs> it was a horrible moment uh, at one point in the match where he got tackled awkwardly by Ross Moriarty and sort of twisted in the tackle. And you know, I think it was a, there was somebody sat just further down the bench from me that, that winced a little bit, and we all sort of were watching to make sure that he got back up because you know that would have been a disaster. But yeah, as you said, Ben, he um, he controlled the game all right. I don't think there was much between him and Sam Davis, although Anscombe probably just about edged it. But I think that that probably speaks more to the quality of player that surrounded Anscombe. Um, 
you know, he, he became more influential as the game wore on. Uh, I think he probably settled into it. Uh, probably took him a while to get up and running. Kicked really well, um, which is always a positive. But yeah, second half, the nice touches, the offloads, the delayed passes, the sort of half breaks started to shine through a little bit. And, um, you know, it's just what the Ospreys need, isn't it? You know, they, they need him to be fit and they need him to be the guy that, that he was two you know, over two years ago. Um, if he is still that player, and we're going to find out probably in the next six weeks, then um, I think it sets them up to be a real contender this year. Um, not saying they're going to win the league or anything like that, but if they, I think they can certainly be the Welsh side that go on to to cause problems in the playoffs. Because um, I just like the way that their squad is set up, particularly to deal with international windows. You know, when the Scarlets lose 12 of their boys, this is going to be really difficult for them. And I think the Ospreys are better equipped to, to lose their Welsh internationals. So, you know, I guess if you come back to Anscombe in that regard, you know, behind him is going to be Stephen Myler. Uh, I'm not sure what his injury situation is at the moment because we haven't really seen any of him yet this year. Um, but um, he's a quality operator, you know, still at the top level. They've got a good youngster in Josh Thomas there as well and Joe Hawkins as well, who's been given some time in the number 10 shirt in pre-season to, to come through. So, you know, they are equipped to, to manage the loss of Anscombe for a couple of weeks, when he, you know, if he does get selected by Wales. Um, so, yeah, I think um, in terms of a start to the season, they had to win that game really just to send the right message and set the right tone and, you know, at half time it didn't look great, but they sorted the discipline out, got control of the game, and uh, and won it quite well in the end. You know, there was a late try from Rodri Williams, which made it look a bit closer than perhaps it was in the second half. Um, but they, you know, they they handled the sort of last fifteen minutes really well, and um, yeah, it was a good win in the end and a, a good sort of platform from which to launch their season. Now, if you look at it, I mean, in terms of um, their recruitment. I and mean, you can almost look upon Anscombe as a new signing now, can't you? Yeah, because he hasn't played for them. So he's starting there. We know he's top quality. they got one of the best, I still think, one of the best tight heads in the world. He's coming there. Thomas Francis, hugely underrated player. Very, very, you know, solid. You know, you know what you get from Frano, don't you? Just, you know, solid, solid player. Good work rate as well. But the other thing they've got, they've got a kind of squad now, I think, that when there are star names away, They've got players in that group who are probably going to be there for most of the campaign who are really solid citizens. Yeah. I mean, they're so solid, they might actually get called up for Wales if they're not careful. But if you look at people like Morgan Morris, although he was great at the weekend, you know, he's a different kind of eight, isn't he? He's, um, what was it? I think I was talking to our colleague Mark Orders about this week, this week, and he said, I think it was like Toby Booth or one of the other Ospreys coach, coaches, um, likened to, to Dylan Armitage, the um, the old England back row forward, oh, yeah. who was a great success in France. And that he's, you know, he's quite squat, isn't he? You know, he's he's not your six foot three second row, but he's like he's that kind of sort of bulldozing ball carrier, but also the ability to get over the ball and make a real impact there. You know, he might possibly be just missing out on the Wales shake-up because we know, we know how competitive the back row is. Yeah. Same goes for Will Griffiths, who I think has been eyed by Wales. But, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people vying for those places. So they've got people like that who, who could well be there all season. Sam Parry might just miss out again, a really good club player, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and, then you, and then you've got Bradley Davis still doing a job for them. Um, and Reese Davis, you know, Reece these Davis. are all people, these are all people who sort of, 
you know, if there was maybe a couple of injuries or absentees or wills, they make it a call, but the more likely they're going to be there. Luke Morgan, Luke Morgan knows this a solid job. You kind of forget, you know, if you while they were using that Wales squad a few years and Prother as well, really good sign in. So I think they've got these players, Collins as well. Collins might get in the Wales squad, but you know, you saw what he brings, and they're just an intelligent rugby player. Really nice blog. I remember speaking to him on the Lions tour in 2017, and he was saying how much he enjoyed his time in Wales with the Scarlets. You know, he's got a good, good track record. Just the lines he runs, that try he scored. It was almost, it was a bit of a Jamie Roberts style line, but slightly different with the step at the end as well. He looks a good pair. I think Pivak rates him, doesn't he? So, yeah, they're building a good squad. Uh, and then you think about it, they've got Tipperick to come back in probably, what, Christmas time, maybe? Um, Jack Morgan as well. He'll find his feet because we know what he can do. <laughs> and then obviously you've got Adam and Jones, you know, who will just bring what Alwyn Jones brings when he comes back. So, yeah, they're in a good place. They won't get carried away because they were outplayed in the first half by the Dragons. So that's a you know a pertinent point, isn't it? But, but they found a way in that second half. And we got someone like Beard coming off the bench. You talk about his replacements, you know, that makes a difference, doesn't it? You know, and uh, yeah. Compared to where they were when we were talking about them this time last year, when they'd had the season from, from hell the year before, they have made major strides into Toby Booth and if you're an Ospreys fan now you feel a lot better place than you did 15, 16 months ago certainly Absolutely um, Yeah, anything to add on Michael Collins, Matt, seeing him in, in person, I remember him at the Scarlet, he played a lot of, at 15 so you didn't see him cut those sort of same angles but you know, both the tries there were sort of out to inlines which yeah. made it look so easy didn't it? Yeah, not 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 a great deal to add to what Simon said, but again, the word that the first word I think of when it comes to him is just intelligence. You know, he's those two angles that he ran tries are very very difficult to defend. You know, um, he made Ross Moriarty look pretty average with that angle first off, and again second one, Nora Owen was completely flat footed, just didn't see him coming. Um, you know, at that point as well, they were they were numbers down because Jack Dixon was off, but. Um, yeah, he's just a really intelligent player and, um, you know, doesn't make many mistakes. He's got, you know, some nice little kicks as well in behind. Um, you know, it seems to, he's got that versatility as well, as you alluded to, can operate to, you know, started the game at 13, moved to fullback when Dan Evans went off with a what looked like a hamstring injury. Um, so, you know, very sort of, you know, he's going to be a good signing for them. Again, a lot will hinge on whether or not he gets a call-up. You know, I'm not... He's probably on the fringe of that at the moment, but, you know, Willis Halaholo is playing extremely well. There's a lot of Welsh centres out there doing all right at the moment. Um, so whether or not he does get... I, I'm not sure he's going to be in the back three at test level. Um, so, you know, really he's going to be looking at centre and... I don't know. I'm not sure if he can if he's going to break into there for the autumn. If he has a good sort of three or four months now, maybe the Six Nations. But he's definitely a good signing for them. Um, and you know, like Simon touched on Jack Morgan as well, top tackler with 20 tackles on on Sunday. So you know, quite how the Scarlets let him go and why he wasn't involved with Wales in the summer is beyond me. But you know, if he's not involved with Wales. And the Ospreys are going to be chuffed because he's going to be a big player for them this season. Yeah, I think with Jack, I mean, yeah, the Scarlets have kind of responded to that by saying that, well, essentially he was out of contract and mm. that his, you know, family heritage and his 
you know, roots lie in the Ospreys and he wanted to go oh. there. So I oh, think wow. that um, they, um, I don't think they wanted to let him go, put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I don't know what the terms of the contract were, what he, you know, what the deal was, but I think ultimately he was a free agent and chose to go to the Ospreys. So I don't know how much the Scarlets could have done of that. Obviously, we weren't part of the dealings. Um, but, you know, I, I think you're right. I think they looked at a, a very decent setup. But it's interesting what you said about the centres there, because mm-hmm. I just did a little list of them before coming on you. I mean, it's 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 a competitive area. And you think about it, Johnny Williams coming back, you see John Fox, Scott Williams we've talked about, Ben Thomas who came through in, in the autumn and Iron Owen, another young lad. Then you've got Nick Tompkins over in England, Halla Hollow. You know, it's a lot of quality centres there. So getting into that squad as a centre... Owen Watkin as well, you know, gosh, it's going to be a real challenge to get in there. So that is the point, I guess, isn't it? That there are only so many places that are available and the others who aren't going to be there are going to be staying with the regions and doing decent jobs with them. But yeah, it's a good position to be in, isn't it? Because you wouldn't say that about every position in Wales. But what's encouraging is you'd say it about quite a few of them. Well, it wasn't so long ago that we were all saying, you know, what the hell are we going to do without Hardley Parks? Because... You know, there wasn't a 12 coming through behind him. And suddenly, you know, like, like as you just touched on, especially with Jonathan Davis's, you know, apparent switch now to inside centre, you know, it's a position that we're, you know, Wales are looking pretty solid in. Well, it's interesting that because I mean, I think on form, I think Halla Hollow, there's a big case for him wearing 12 against the All Blacks. You know, you can imagine how would be for that game. If mm. that does happen, what do you do at 13? Does John Fox go back to 13? It's an interesting one there, isn't it? Because you can obviously... Um, you could obviously look at when Owen Watkins got the ability. I mean, Tompkins play, has been playing well for the Saracens and play at 13. So, yeah, it's all about the balance he wants in that midfield, isn't it, really? And then what he yeah. wants from a 12, I mean, he's obviously dabbled with having a second playmaker there in Ben Thomas. Now, Ben's injured at the moment, so he's going to have to play catch-up. And obviously, it's difficult for Ben to get in that card of first team, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, it wouldn't still wouldn't surprise me hugely if the centre-starting pairing was Harlow Hollow and Jonathan Davis. I know what you say, but I just think that, yeah. I mean, where is Jonathan playing his club rugby? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, it'll become more and more the talk, talk over the coming weeks, but um, on to round two now. Mm. Absolutely. We've got another Welsh derby and we um Osprey's Cardiff. Cardiff yeah. Scarlet, as we mentioned, have the Lions and then... Well, the Dragons, it's just a nice, easy home game against uh, Leinster. Yeah, I'm covering that one on Sunday. Good luck to the Dragons. I spent um, yesterday afternoon, um, Cardiff Osprey is always an interesting game. I spent last afternoon going through some of the uh, little flare-ups and feisty occasions that have taken place in that fixture down the years. Um, I'm particularly looking forward to Mr. Southcombe's book with Mike Phillips. Do you have the full story of Justin Marshall back in the day? <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some bombshells coming out of that book when it arrives. <laughs> Yeah, you get it all. Don't worry about that. October twenty yeah. first. I mean that that fixture. I mean that fixture all. <coughs> excuse me. That fixture has always been um, down the years and an interesting affair. Um, you couldn't get a nicer bloke. And Ben, we've talked about this before. You couldn't get a nicer bloke in rugby than Martin Williams. But when the Ospreys came to town, the red mist descended to match the red hair. And I, I remember the uh, he, he had a little altercation with Mister Henson. I, 
I, I was reading, speaking of very well-written autobiographies, I was reading Martin's the other day, and uh, he, he, I remember he referred to uh, Flash Harry Henson, which I always thought was a lovely line. And, uh, and he had a little sort of dispute with him, and then there was a headbutt, which he sent, he was only sent off once in his career, and it was against the Ospreys. And then obviously you had the, the Marshall Phillips, which was the most influence a lot. But looking through it, even in recent years, there's been a lot of cards in that match. Yeah. <laughs> the very last league match, if you remember, um, January this year, Cardiff had three players yellow card in that game. There's a, there's a history of feistiness, and you know what it's like early season. You know, players haven't played for a while. I think it could be quite interesting, quite tasty, this one, because obviously you're starting to get into that Welsh rivals thing. And you'll learn, we'll learn about a lot about the two teams, I think, at the Liberty Stadium this weekend. And that, that's, uh, I don't know how to call that one, really. Don't know, don't know where I think it's going to end up. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I know we've had, you know, people give us a bit of stick for talking about Wales and all, you know, giving it so soon uh, in the season. But I think we're expecting Pivak to name his squad next week. So, you know, we're not a million miles away from, you know, the All Blacks are going to be here in a month. You know, it's not, you haven't got many chances to, to put your case forward. No, I think it's interesting what, what um, Toby Booth and Dai Young do this weekend. Um I, I, you'd imagine they will both go full throt, throttle, wouldn't you? And, they, and that, that does set up, you know, some interesting head-to-heads potentially. Fingers crossed if Priestland made it, you'd have Priestland against Anscombe, you know, which would be a nice one. Then you've got maybe Thomas Williams against Reese Webb. Yeah. You look, and then you, you you could have a situation where you could have someone like Reese Carey against Thomas Francis, that kind of situation. And, you know, Beard against Seb Davis. So, and the back row battle, you know, is Jack Morgan against... You know, Ellis Jenkins, and the, I mean the centres. We've talked about it, you know, already. You know, you got a Hollow Hollow Lilo against, I mean Collins and Watkins. So I, it's great. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one shapes up. Um, I think again, you've just you touched on it. Both of you touched on it. There's, you do sense there's a slightly more power in the Ospreys locker. I think that's fair to say. No, no, definitely. Uh, well, you mentioned the game in January at the Cardiff City Stadium, and that's did a number, didn't they? How many tries did? How many tries did he? It was wasn't it? Was it seventeen? Three? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even Phillips scored a couple of tries, and the lino just you know it was it was just not not men against boys, but you could see who had the superior set piece and who had the bigger pack. Cardiff's lino defense will have to be on the money. Massively, massively so. Um, there we go. We've got a Welsh derby to look forward to this weekend. Um, South African side visiting Nestle on Friday night. Um, I promise I won't wear the box jersey to Parkinson's Palace. <laughs> um, well, we'll see. Um, and yeah, the Dragons and Sam Davis looking for his first victory over an Irish club um, since he joined uh, the Gwent region. So plenty to look forward to then. It's good to be back on the podcast. Good having you back, Matt and Simon. Hope you've uh, enjoyed um, a somewhat rusty return to proceedings. Mm-hmm. Of course, for all the latest news uh, on Welsh rugby, you can catch it all on Welsh rugby.